Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to this week's episode of No Liberty. I am your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I am thrilled to have you here this week. This week, we are kicking off our Liberty Candidate series. Um, I am very excited about this series. We are going to be bringing on over the course of the next three to four months, um, we are going to be bringing on a plethora of Liberty candidates um, that go from everywhere from the the local level to the state house um, in different states, uh, all the way up into Congress and, and the Senate and a few governor races as well. So we are very, very excited about, about starting this series, about getting it uh, up and running. And today I am not starting at the top. I'm actually starting at the bottom because uh, I think that's that's the best place to start, especially when you're talking about government in in federalism and in, in a federalist sense. Um, that's where the most lasting change can happen is in your in your local uh, governments, in your in your local communities, and in in the state houses. Um, so that's where I want to start this week uh, for for this edition of our Liberty Candidate series. I'm bringing on a candidate in out that's uh, that's out of West Virginia that he is running for the House of Delegates in West Virginia. Um, and his name is Jared Cannon. Now, he is a fantastic uh, Liberty Republican, Liberty candidate that I think is 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 worth um, your, your consideration. I think it's that he is worth um, you digging into a little bit and investing a little bit of time into. Again, all of these candidates that I will be bringing on on this series, I'm not telling you that that these individuals you have to support or you have to 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 give them your financial support or your vote if you're living in the in the in the area that that these individuals are running in um that's not what i'm saying what i am saying is that these people are at least worth your consideration because i have considered them i'm not going to present uh to you somebody who i think is just total trash these are people who um, who really understand at least a good 90% of the issues uh, 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 where liberty should fall in in line in these issues. Um, and you will be able to hear that in, in this episode. We talk about, I really get into a lot of the different policy aspects. I, first of all, I talk about his campaign and how that's going and how he got involved in politics, a very interesting story that I think many of you will share um, some similar similar flashbacks with, uh, as, as I did a little bit. Um, and then we get into many policy proposals, as will we do with all of our candidates. I, I want to really get into how these individuals are going to be governing and how these individuals are going to be legislating, um, because that's the most important aspect. Uh, so we talk about guns, we talk about trade, we talk about um, energy, we talk about uh, the opioid crisis because we really haven't spent that much time on it, um, and 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 so much more. So uh, this is a really good episode. I'm really happy that this is our first uh, edition in in the candidate series that we have here that we are doing here uh, on Mill Liberty. and we have a lot of different candidates, many of whom you will know. Many, 
you probably have never heard of, but you really should start paying attention to. That's the purpose of this program uh, throughout this series. So, without further ado, please sit back and enjoy the first edition in our Liberty Candidate series. Please sit back and enjoy my interview with Jared Cannon running for the West Virginia House of Delegates. Jared, welcome to Liberty. I am thrilled to have you here. Welcome. Thanks, Caleb. Glad to be with you. Yeah, so I, I'm really excited to, to speak with you. You are the first candidate in our candidate series, our Liberty candidate series that we are doing here on the program. Um, so just to, just to start out, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us why you are running um, in West Virginia and tell us a little bit about how your campaign is going. Sure. So I'm a born and raised West Virginian. I've been here in the state my entire life, and I'm actually currently a college student at West Virginia University, uh, but my hometown is in Huntington, close to where you are, uh, and really I've been involved in politics almost my entire life since I was a young kid. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2008 uh, is the, the first presidential election I really remember, uh, and I was a big follower of Ron Paul, as you know, so many of us are. Uh, and then after 2008, uh, obviously I was, whew, I was about 10 years old at the time, <laughs> 11 years old. So I wasn't, uh, wasn't out there making phone calls or anything like that. But once 2012 rolled around, I was a little more mature, a little, had a little bit more of an understanding of the whole process. And again, big supporter of Ron Paul. Uh, and he was kind of the person who brought me into the fold, uh, in 2012, I made phone calls for him, uh, volunteered for him as much as I really could, talked about him on social media, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and so, like so many people involved in the liberty movement, uh, he was kind of the father of politics for me and the father of liberty. Uh, going on from there, um, obviously, you know, in 2012, after he lost, I was kind of disillusioned with the whole thing. <laughs> um, and then in 2014, uh, here in Huntington, uh, we had a candidate named Evan Jenkins who ran for Congress against a 38-year incumbent named Nick Rahal. And uh, I, just through some mutual friends, ended up volunteering on the Jenkins campaign for Congress. Uh, and we ended up winning against that 38-year entrenched Democratic incumbent. So that was, again, kind of the first time I got involved in politics and saw how the process worked where your candidate could actually end up being you know, in the winter circle on mm-hmm. election day. Uh, after volunteering for Congressman, now Congressman Jenkins in 2014, uh, I decided myself, after talking to so many people on that campaign trail, seeing what was going on in Huntington, to actually run for the state legislature in 2016. Uh, so in 2016, I ran and ended up coming up a little short in the primary. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times the first time people run, you're getting the experience you need, you're making the connections you need, uh, and learning kind of how to go about, go about it a better way the second time. Right. Uh, so after I ended up losing in the primary in 2016, uh, I went back to Congressman Jenkins campaign and actually was the political director for his reelection in 2016, which helped open up a lot of new doors for me, uh, obviously with making the connections you need to run a state legislative race. So 
that led us to where we are today uh, in 2018. Uh, I am running in uniquely, uh, probably one of the only candidates you'll have that's running in a multi-member district. Uh, West Virginia is very unique in that we have, uh, we're one of a handful of states uh, where multiple people are elected from the same district. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically for three different seats, we've got seven candidates running. So it's a massive primary, seven Republicans. Um, and we'll see who comes out on primary day, but I'm excited. Uh, really the reason I decided to jump into it, uh, was because so many people my age, uh, especially are leaving the state of West Virginia. Uh, and it's for multiple reasons. First off, we've got a terrible drug epidemic, as you know. Uh, Huntington specifically is one of the highest per capita drug overdose rates in the country. Mm-hmm. And you know what a lot of people don't recognize is that as our overdose rate has risen, there's almost a perfect correlation with West Virginia's increased unemployment that we saw during the entirety of the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. So one of my key issues is bringing jobs back into the region. I think that that's, that's probably the most important thing any candidate could do right now, because not only is that going to help us fix the drug epidemic, but it's going to keep young people, people like me here in the state, mm-hmm. because almost all of our population losses come in from people my age. We can't, uh, you know, we can't be expected to stay here if we can't afford to stay in the state by ourselves, let alone be able to expect to provide for a family. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so, so your, your candidacy is, is really interesting because, um, not only are you a, uh, a young person running for this office in, in West Virginia of all places, um, you're also a a Liberty candidate. You're also a Liberty, uh, Republican, which, which those those three things in a, a young Liberty Republican <laughs> in West Virginia, it doesn't sound like it should um, right. it should go together. And for those of you who don't know about West Virginia politics, there there's there's technically a two party system, but it's it's everyone pretty much is is the same party more or less. Would you agree with that? I would. Yeah, I, I'd say that. For the most part, you know. There's, yeah, there's there's, there's, there's slight outliers. differences, but for uh, like Democrats and Republicans, if you're if you're not you know pro gun, pro coal, and pro uh, exactly. you know then pro god, yeah. yeah, pro god, pro gun, pro coal, then you're not going to win in West Virginia. Right. Yeah, that's right. absolutely true, and that's that's been the case for so many years. You know, we've and I was going to touch on that a little bit too. You know, we West Virginia has seen a major political transformation not in necessarily an ideology, but in party, like you were right. talking about. So, I mean, for the last, so in 2014, we flipped the state house from Democrat to Republican control for the first time in 83 years. So Republicans held a very slim minority. Uh, there were very few Republican members in the house for decades and decades. But at the same time, a lot of the Democrats did ha- were very socially conservative. Um, and that's the case still today. Uh, there are very few progressives, I would mm-hmm. say, in West Virginia politics. Um, this year, though, I have seen definitely a surge in progressive candidates. So we'll see what happens uh, after the election. Mm-hmm. I'll be very surprised if, if any of them do end up winning, but we'll see. 
but we do we do still have a, a solid base of Liberty folks here in West Virginia, especially in our elected officials. You know, we have a, a Liberty caucus with about 10 members. Um, same thing with young people, too. You know, it's I'm I'm definitely not a trailblazer at 20 years old, which is it's not a bad thing to say. I mean, I'm, I'm proud that we have about 10 members in our legislature under the age of 30, including a few that were elected uh, 18, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, the first first name that, that comes to mind in West Virginia, she made a lot of headlines back, I, I think it was in 2012, 14, 14 was it? Yeah. 14? Yeah. Sarah Blair, um, who she was not even out of high school, I don't think, whenever she started her campaign. So, so that dynamic is really interesting. What has been the overall vibe for your campaign that you've you've experienced so far? Right. With not just not just the the young dynamic, the the youth dynamic, that the sort of pushback that you might get from from older people who who say that you're not experienced yet or, or stuff like sure. that, but also the liberty dynamic that you're you're bringing to the table a very specific message. Sure. So I'll definitely tell you, I mean, people like Sarah Blair have made a great name for us in West Virginia politics for young people, I would say. Um, Sarah, too, is is pretty liberty minded, um, especially on key issues like the Second Amendment, for example. She was the lead sponsor. She was the one who introduced the bill for West Virginia constitutional carry that was passed last year. Mm -hmm. Um, So Sarah's done a great job. and there are other young candidates, too, that have done the same thing. And I think that's a big part of why I actually don't think I've, I've faced much pushback in, in being a young candidate. And actually, I would say that, that people are admiring of that um, because they can tell, you know, that I'm not in this for my own personal benefit. You know, if, if I wanted to, to have fun and go to college, like be in college, I would do that. You know what I mean? Right. Instead, yeah. instead, I'm going home every weekend, knocking on doors and making phone calls. Uh, because I care about the state of West Virginia and I care about my future and my my kids' future, you know. So I think that older people admire that. Um, I I think that they can see the benefits too of having young people in office because we have had uh, such an older legislature for so many years and look where it's gotten us. Yeah. So I I think people are people are willing to find new types of legislators if they think it'll make uh, a new type of legislature, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. um, if they think it'll lead us down the right path. And I think the same thing goes with, with being a Liberty candidate, um, especially right now. I mean, I'm, I'm running in a, in a big Republican primary uh, where there's a lot of, of Liberty conservatives, actually. You'd be surprised hmm. with how many, how many people, uh, how many voters are uh, you know, liberty minded, just like me. I mean, it's, it's not hard to sell people on the idea of smaller, limited government of getting the government out of your life. Um, and that's also true. I think in a state like West Virginia, even though we're typically thought of in the past to be so democratic leaning, there's still a high distrust in government. And so when people want to come in and involve government in more and more aspects of our life, of our life, people are going to be inherently opposed to that idea. So let's let's talk about a few uh, specifics then. 
and sure. get into a few different little policy uh, details because this is this is sort of the uh, the nuts and bolts of it all. That the real reason I wanted to talk to to you and and many other candidates that we'll be having um, come on the program um, because there's a lot of things going on right now. Um, uh, nationally, on on state levels, all, all across the country, um, right. and in local levels, that is some of it's really good, and others not so much. Uh, especially whenever we see um, uh, Republicans take control of of uh, either Congress or or their state legislatures, and it is it, they seem to forget their principles. Um, so let's let's go with the the easy one at least for <laughs> at least for um, in in West Virginia, you know, like we already alluded to, you have to be you have to be pro gun in in West Absolutely. Virginia. There's there's no getting around that. Um, but what exactly does that mean for you? Because anybody can say, well, I, I support the Second Amendment, but but sure. what does the Second Amendment specifically mean to you? So I, I think a big misunderstanding that people have today in arguments about the Second Amendment um, is obviously we have Democrats coming at it from an angle of you don't need assault weapons for hunting. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't need assault weapons uh, to defend your house from a burglar. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think what a lot of people need to realize is that the Second Amendment isn't for hunting. The Second Amendment is about protecting ourselves from the government. Mm-hmm. Um protecting ourselves from government tyranny. And so personally, I am very staunchly pro-Second Amendment. I think that uh, a lot of what's being proposed on the national level, um, such as you know assault weapons bans, magazine capacity limitations, those are things that would never happen in West Virginia. Those are things that would have to be federally mandated for us to even consider complying with them. Um, <laughs> I would be I would be staunchly opposed uh, to those policies specifically. Well, what do you make of the um, idea? Like, for example, in in Florida, they just did this uh, to to raise the age of purchasing certain firearms from eighteen to twenty one. Right. Um, yeah. Again, <laughs> I mean, you're you're taking my rights away at that point. I mean, right, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm 20 years old, so if you're going to tell me that I can't – when I live on my own, I can't buy a weapon to – let's say I have a young kid at home. Um, I, I can't buy a weapon to protect myself and my family? Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's a ridiculous assertion. And at the same time, I think it's also a knee-jerk reaction um, to things like the Parkland shooting where we did have a shooter that was under the age of 21. But look at almost every other mass shooting that we've had. <laughs> they they were in their 30s and their 40s. You know, the Vegas shooter in his right. late 50s. Uh, these are time and time again after we have mass shootings, Democrats and liberals propose policies that nine times out of 10 or heck, 99 times out of 100 are not going to do a single thing to stop mass shootings. They just they pull well. And so they think that we should implement them. Do you think that there is anything that should be done um, on the uh, obviously you're running for in in the state legislature by either state or nationally or is is there any sort of reform that can happen that you think that you think could work or do, do you think that um, it, it's a fool's errand? Right. Um, so at the end of the day, I mean, West Virginia itself has no problems 
with with mass shootings. I mean, we yeah. we last year, or at least in 2016, we don't have 2017 data yet, but in 2016, there were more people killed by knives than by assault rifles in West Virginia. Uh, and I think that's true. For Which I believe is the case nationally as well. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so unless you're talking about banning not only assault rifles, but banning handguns and banning every form of firearm, I mean, you're not going to put a dent in anything here in West Virginia, at least. And like you said, probably even nationally. Um, so it, really, it's it's a culture problem more than it is a gun problem, because here in West Virginia, we have almost the highest number of guns per capita in the country. <laughs> and like I said, we have no problem, no problems at all with mass shootings. Um, so it's a culture problem. We can absolutely do more, of course, uh, with mental health funding. Um, I think that we absolutely do have a problem with mental health in this country. And, you know, looking at a lot of the major mass shooters, uh, many of them are clearly mentally ill. Um, but it, it's hard. You know, I, I do think more funding into mental health programs. And we have some good programs here in West Virginia specifically that deal with that uh, would be good. But like I said, at the same time, it's you can't blame the gun for all of this because right. West Virginia is a prime example of that. What do you think of uh, be, because on, on obviously on the left you see a lot of people talking about confiscation or not maybe not confiscation but uh, that's that's obviously where it would inevitably end up. Well, um, they, they say they're not for confiscation, right, but right. then you you get a third or uh, almost you start going down the rabbit Democrats hole and it's a little who, different. <laughs> Right, forty percent of Democrats polled say they they are for confiscation. Right, um, and then on the other side, uh, it's not so much about it's not so much about gun control as much as it is. It seems like they want to make uh, schools more like a fortress. Where where do you fall on that? Do you like the idea of of having armed security guards in school? Do you like the idea of arming or at least having having teachers allowed to be armed in school? What what sort of is is your your idea when it comes to that? Yeah, that's a good question. I um, I I do support teachers if if they have a concealed carry permit, um, and they're fully able to to carry outside of a classroom. I see no reason why they shouldn't be able to carry inside of their classroom too, uh, so long as there are precautions to where you know a student couldn't grab their gun, that kind of thing. Same right. same kind of deal with with a police officer, how they keep their guns in holsters, they're secured in schools. Um, but at the same time too, I, I do think that, that having things like metal detectors in schools could go a long way, um, in, in stopping it. But I mean, like I said, for me at the end of the day here in West Virginia, we don't have a problem. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're creating one where it doesn't exist. If, if I was running for the U S Senate or for U S Congress, you know, I, I, I think something like that could be a good idea if I'm looking out for the interest of the entire country, but, but here in West Virginia, we really don't have an issue. Mm -hmm. If, if you do win, would that be, would that be a uh, legislation that, that you'd be interested in, in trying to put forward, um, uh, allowing teachers to, to carry concealed in, in the classroom? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would like, um, I'm kind of split right now, really, if, if I would like for that to be made on a, on a county level, mm -hmm. decision made on a county yeah. level or as a state mandate. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you put it at a county level, you know, you can give parents more options. 
Um, sure. Obviously, parents that don't want to homeschool their kids, uh, the option to move counties if they don't like the idea. But at the same time, I, I can definitely see the utility of having it introduced statewide. Um, so that's something I'd have to think about. But if it if it was brought up as legislation, I I would definitely vote yes. Um, so let's let's talk about one of the uh, one of the bigger issues that I think has hit West Virginia specifically uh, somewhat disproportionately. And you alluded to this earlier about the opioid crisis in West Virginia. Absolutely. This isn't something that we've really talked too much about um, on the program. But I, I I do really want to discuss it with you. Um, what sort of solutions do you see? Well, first of all, where where do you see? Because you already mentioned that um, unemployment is a big driving uh, factor in this crisis, so it has a lot to do with just sheer hopelessness. Exactly. Um, what what do you see? Is is a few other. I guess contributing factors and sure. and what do you see is the best way to address this? Yeah, so I use that term a lot actually hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Um I think that during the Obama administration when West Virginia was so disproportionately affected by things like the war on coal uh and wars of regulation really. Um a lot of people lost their jobs and weren't able to provide for their families and and turned to drugs as a way to get away from those problems. Uh, but at the same time, we have a lot of people who start off, you know, they they get a hip replacement and they're on uh, pain meds for a month. And then there's another month and another month and another month. And then uh, they end up going down a path that leads them to harder and harder drugs. Yeah. So a big part of it is how many pain pills have come into West Virginia. Uh, I'm not sure, but you probably saw the report. Uh that, uh, you know, a small town in West Virginia, Kermit, uh, a pharmacy there in a town of 500 people was shipped something like 500 pain pills for every single person over a, a period of four years. Uh, so it was millions and millions of pills for a town of 500 people. Uh, so at the end of the day, I, I think that uh, we need to do more in terms of pres- prescriptions. So I, I don't think that doctors necessarily need to be prescribing um, highly addictive opioids for minor problems. Uh, I hear all the time about people going in uh, to doctor's offices for minor pain and then being given a a huge prescription for opioids. Uh, And they're like, heck no, I'm not taking this. You know know where that leads you. Uh, So that's a big part of it. Uh, But like you and I both said, I, I think the job loss and the hopelessness, hopelessness aspect of it uh, is a huge part of it too. Where do you think the war on drugs plays into this? Mm-hmm. So uh, I do think that, you know, last year uh, West Virginia actually kind of softly legalized medical marijuana. Um, and there have been multiple studies uh, that I've seen that have shown major reductions in opioid overdoses um, with states that have legalized medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that could go a long way. Um, and also something that could honestly go a long way, which it's kind of funny, but uh, securing our border with Mexico could go a long way because almost 70-80% of the heroin that's here in West Virginia uh, is transported over the border from Mexico. Uh, so 
<laughs> I know that's kind of bouncing off the topic a little bit, but <laughs> that's just something that came to mind there. Um, definitely, though, I, I think that, that medical marijuana is is a good alternative to the you know major use of opioids here in the state. Uh, and I'm glad that we're kind of finally taking steps uh, here in our state, which kind of surprising, you know, I mean, we're very socially conservative, so kind of surprising they got that passed last year. Uh, There's a lot of of good Republican delegates, actually, that led that charge. Yeah. Um, One of them, uh, who I know is a big supporter of medical marijuana, is Riley Moore, who is possibly running for speaker of our house next year as our current speakers retiring mm-hmm. um current speaker pretty opposed to medical marijuana that sort of thing so i think we could see a real real turn um in our policy aspects on that end starting next year in the house um there's there's a lot of different directions i i'm trying to figure out which which way i want to take this uh what 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 is your position on just on beyond the the medical side of things? What is your sure. position on on recreational and and just uh, just regular marijuana uh, legalization? Sure. So I've been watching pretty closely uh, states like Colorado mm-hmm. um, that have that have fully you know legalized marijuana, and I think that right now, at least in West Virginia, uh, I would be for a decriminalization. Okay. Uh, you know, I I don't think that anybody should spend 30 years in jail because they had, you know, a little bit of marijuana on them. Um, at the same time, I do think that we should kind of wait a few more years and see how it's going in states like Colorado. Uh, I've seen good results out of there and I've seen bad results. Um, but by and large, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm for decriminalization now and taking probably a path to legalization here five, ten years down the road once we see the, the good results coming out of other states. Right. And I, I think the the details between legalization and decriminalization at this point, at this stage, and mm. the debate is is very minor right. <laughs> because uh, ultimately the the issues are still the same and, and you get a lot of the same results with, with uh, whichever route that right. states take. So Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unbelievably expensive, too, for us to right. be putting people in prison for almost the rest of their lives uh, for, for having a little bit of marijuana on them. So at, at the end of the day, it saves us a lot of money too as a state, which is uh, a big problem we can definitely talk about with West Virginia's budget uh, because yes. we've, had, we've had major budget issues, especially yes. over the last few years. Um, before we get into that, I, I do want to yeah. take one more uh uh, one more question uh, concerning sure. the the opioid tr- the opioid crisis and the war on drugs. Um, w- this I I believe it was just a, a week or two weeks ago. Um, President Trump was in New Hampshire and he said one of his uh, <laughs> solutions to right. fixing this crisis was to give the death penalty to drug dealers. Um, I'm, I'm not asking necessarily to pit yourself either, either in, you know, in line with the president or out of line with the president, but more specifically on that policy idea, where, where do you stand on that? So I'm, I'm actually against the death penalty. Um, I completely, I think that correct. I completely, I think that if the government murders even one innocent person out of a thousand, I, I think that's completely unjust at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
also, I mean, the we're we're all granted the the uh, rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right. Uh, and no matter what we do, uh, the government can't take those away from us. Um, so, I'm opposed to the death penalty in principle. Uh, if we have the death penalty, um, I do support. Uh, if a drug dealer, you know, gives out as we had actually in Huntington last year, we had nearly 30 overdoses in a 24 hour period. Um, and those were all caused by one drug dealer. Um, the, the heroin that he had dealt was laced with other drugs that ended up causing most of these people to die. Uh, those that couldn't be brought back. Uh, and in cases like that, if we have the death penalty, I would support it. But in principle, like I said, I am opposed to the death penalty. Does does that opposition sort of stem from a, a pro-life perspective as well? It does, yes. Um, I'm staunchly pro-life as well, uh, as many of us, again, in the liberty movement are. Right. Um, well, that's that's good to hear then. Um, let's let's shift uh, before we get into some of the some of the financial and budgetary uh, aspects sure. of things. I, I do want to know what, uh, a few weeks ago I had, um, I had on uh, the executive director of U.S. Term Limits on, um, uh -huh. and he asked me to ask all the, all the candidates this, and <laughs> I think this is a really good idea. Uh, what is your position on term limits? Yeah, so again, it's, it's something I agree with in principle, but not necessarily in implementation. Okay. Um, so I like the idea of citizen legislatures, which is something we have here in West Virginia. Uh, we're only part-time. We're serving two months out of the year. Um, and other than that, the other 10 months, you know, we're, we're living among the people we represent uh, in regular jobs as regular people. Uh, so I like the idea of those representatives switching. You know, we're citizens. We're, we're new people all the time. But – at the same time, if a voter wants to, to vote somebody in because they like that person, I don't want to take away the rights uh, of a citizen to vote in who they want to vote in. So in my mind, elections serve as their own term limits. Uh, clearly, uh, we have these sometimes entrenched incumbents. But in my experience, working for Congressman Jenkins in 2014, you know, we beat a 38-year incumbent. So it's, it's not impossible. And when, when the voters – open their eyes and realize that what's been going on for so long isn't taking them where they want to go. I think they vote in the right people at the end of the day. Um, what is the, the state of the, uh, the budget in West Virginia? Um, so this year, a little better than most. Um, this year, uh, I think a lot of the, good Republican policies that we've been putting in place since we took over in 2014 are kind of starting to take effect. Um, we were number one in a variety of job growth categories for 2017. Uh, number one, number two in GDP growth in a couple quarters of 2017. Um, but we're still having issues because instead of, you know, we've during the Obama administration, we had obviously a major decline in coal severance tax revenue. Um, that and a couple other factors left us with some huge deficits, especially last year and the year before. Um, and then instead of cutting spending, uh, we've been growing the government more and more. So every year our budget's increasing by about 5% annually, which is massive. 
you know, because if, if you look at it on a, a 10 year scale, you know, you're, you're almost uh, time and a half in your government every 10 years. <laughs> um, so I, I think one of the first things that we need to do is get our spending under control. Uh, because here in West Virginia, after, you know, like I talked about earlier, 83 years of Democratic control, we've got a lot of programs that are honestly just wasteful. Uh, we give things like $15 million every year, which maybe not seems like a lot for uh, some bigger states, but it's a lot for West Virginia. $15 million in Greyhound subsidies. Uh, so money we just give to people who train and race Greyhounds across the state. Um <laughs> And yet our public employees this year uh, came to the Capitol, I'm sure you know, struck – they were on strike for 10 days. Yeah. Uh, and we, we ended up giving them, all public employees, uh, a 5% raise. Uh, but we did that not even by cutting spending or cutting these programs. <laughs> we just didn't increase our budget by 5% this year. <laughs> <laughs> that way we were able to give them a 5% raise. So – in my eyes, I mean, think about what we could be doing, not just for public employees, but for everyone every year. If instead of growing our budget, we not only didn't grow it, but shrunk it. Um, so yeah, I mean, when we're, when we're giving out $15 million to people who are training and racing dogs, clearly there's a problem in how our state's been managing its money. And, uh, another thing too, I can think of off the top of my head is our state cars. So our, our state vehicle fleet, uh, some of our government offices say that we have 7,000 cars. Some say that we have 13,000 cars. Uh, there's a, so there's almost a 6,000 car discrepancy in what we even know that we own. So it's just things like this that are left over from, from so many years of, of recklessness in the legislature uh, that, that has to be fixed. What is, in your opinion, what is the the proper role that government should have, especially in budgetary discretion? What should the government be spending on, if much of anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, by and large, the government should definitely, uh, its main priority should just be defending the rights and liberties of its people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that one's pretty simple. Right. Uh, just defending... It's making it meeting its constitutional obligations uh, is really what it needs to be doing, not handing out money to special interest groups uh, as West Virginia is famous for. Uh, your your governor is an interesting figure, <laughs> absolutely um, to say the least. Yeah, uh, he, he recently yeah he recently switched from um, Democrat to Republican, um, and a lot of people a lot of people got really excited about that. A lot of other people didn't really understand where any difference was. Right. <laughs> um, uh, do you think that uh, he's somebody that you would be able to work with uh, if, if you were to win uh, this this sure. upcoming fall? Yeah, so this is something I say all the time too. You know, I'll, I'll support anybody when they're right and nobody yeah. when they're wrong. So it, at the end of the day, the, the letter beside his name doesn't make a difference to me if I'm going to, if I'm going to sit down with him at a table and, and talk budget or talk whatever the issue at hand is. Um, if, if he's willing to work with me, then I'm willing to work with him. And that's, that's the offer I pretty much extend to everyone. I think that the building coalitions is really important in things like a state legislature, you know, building relationships among people to where, uh, you can actually enact meaningful legislation or get meaningful things done is very important. So, 
yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, he's he's certainly an interesting guy. Uh, but if he's onto something that I agree with, uh, then I'm I'll be standing there right by right by his side. If he's doing stuff I disagree with, uh, then I'll be outside the governor's mansion yelling about it. <laughs> um, as as we, I, I sort of want to stay on this the uh, the economic side of things um, as we begin to close down, um, especially after recently over the past uh, month or so. Um, President Trump has uh, has discussed his desires to implement uh, certain tariffs on right. uh, steel, aluminum, and things like that. Uh, what is your general uh, opinion on tariffs, and and uh, I guess how this translated translates into West Virginia is what is your general um, opinion on protectionist policies? Right. So I'm. Absolutely a free trade guy. Okay. Uh, I I disagree with the president's tariffs, um, and at the end of the day, I think that that we should have free and open trade with everybody. Um, there's honestly, the government has no right to tell me who I can or can't sell something to, and at what price. So, yeah, I mean, I I disagree with the steel tariffs. Uh, I do think that. I absolutely understand what the president's trying to do. Um, obviously, uh, it's a very populist move. You know, we've we have lost so many manufacturing jobs over the years. Uh, I don't know though that that even these policies, doing the steel tariffs, everything like that, is going to bring them back. Uh, yeah. I think that part of it is because um, America has not strewn like too far towards capitalism, but too far away from it. Uh, because we implement policies like these and have become so corporatist, uh, I think that's a big reason for the job loss. And in West Virginia specifically, uh, you know, obviously we're kind of famous for handing out subsidies, things of that nature. But I think at the end of the day, if you let the free market work and do its job, uh, that's what's going to bring jobs back here to West Virginia. All right. uh, you know, with as we've repealed regulations, that's one thing that the president's been very strong on uh, is – I think he's repealed sure. something like 22 regulations for every new one he's implemented. And that's certainly helped the coal industry a lot. Uh, we've seen our, our tax revenue increase substantially. We've seen an increase in coal production uh, and also an increase, too, in natural gas production, uh, which West Virginia, I think that's our, our next big break after coal is natural gas. Uh, we've got we've got tons of it here in the state, uh, but at the end of the day, it's very important that we keep that open as a free market option, uh, not hand out subsidies uh, and waste money, honestly, uh, because I think at the end of the day, if, if something's going to sell, if a product's going to sell, it's going to sell, whether we give them money to sell it or not. Um, of course, the reason I, I am curious about that and why it, it translates in West Virginia politics is because... Um, that honestly, whether, whether or not it's right, it's a message that the president has been able to communicate that sure. really resonates with a lot of West Virginians because so many of them, um, feel like they've been, they've been undercut in, sure. in the way that things have been going, especially as, as you were alluding to, especially when it comes to, uh, the coal industry. Um, and that's sort of the, the the last policy question that I want to to get in with you. Um, what is your general 
feel and an opinion about uh, energy policy because energy is very important in West Virginia. They, it's, I, I think it's one of the the biggest energy states, especially for coal. Yep. Yep. Um, what what is your what is your general opinion on on uh, alternative sources of energy uh, compared to coal and and how uh, coal is either a positive or a negative? Sure. So I I think that overwhelmingly I think coal is a positive, uh, especially for our state. Uh, part of the reason or much of the reason uh, it declined in recent years was because of regulations from the Obama administration from the EPA, uh, things of that nature. So when it comes to alternative energy sources, um, anybody that, that wants to produce alternative energy, I'm totally fine with it. But the problem is, at the end of the day, I don't want the government to be incentivizing them and handing them money to do it. Um, if they want to do it on their own free will and, and sell the energy how they please, then go for it. Uh, but tax breaks, tax credits, that sort of thing, I, I disagree with. Yeah. So essentially yeah. a free market of, of right. energy sources is, right. is what yeah, you support. I, exactly. I, I wouldn't want to stop anybody if they want to come to West Virginia and set up a, a solar plant, um, then go for it. I'm all for right. it. But I just I just don't want the government paying for it. Uh, definitely just looking at it from a free market aspect. Uh, if people, people want to use their energy, then use it. If they don't, then don't. Um. As we begin to, to wind down here, I want to ask you uh, more specific, more personal, uh, a few more personal questions that sure. I am going to try to keep a little short, um, but you can you can keep your answers as long or as short as, as you feel necessary. Uh, what uh, individual has been the, the greatest influence on your on your political philosophy? Yeah, as, as I alluded to before, I would, I would probably have to say Ron Paul. Because he uh, undoubtedly got me involved in the entire political process to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, without being involved in his campaigns and watching him go through his presidential elections, I don't know that I ever would have honestly been interested in politics. Um, same thing with, with how eloquently he uh, states his opinions. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for people who can, uh, like I said, eloquently say what they're thinking. Uh, and another person who influences me a bit is uh, actually Ben Shapiro. Uh, okay. Kind of in a similar vein, not necessarily that I agree with so many of his policies as I do with somebody like Ron Paul, but somebody who can talk to you know an average American and so 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 succinctly uh, persuade them to be on their side uh, is somebody I can admire a lot. Yeah. Um, what uh, what. What individual do you look at today in government that you think is somebody that we should be paying attention to or is somebody that we should uh, try to get all of our representatives to aspire to be like? Yeah, I don't know today that there's necessarily one person. Um, or or group elected, of people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that there's uh, definitely some great representatives, of course, like Thomas Massey, Justin Amash, uh, people like Rand Paul, uh, somebody who I think a lot of people don't really talk about so much are people like Mike Lee, mm -hmm. um, Senator Mike Lee, that is, uh, people right. like Senator Senator Ben Sass. Uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of Senator Sass, uh, who, you know, I, I really like the ideals he spouts about 
uh, things like the American family, the American ideal. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that there's there's a lot of really good poli- people in politics today. Uh, and I think that's something that more people need to recognize. Obviously, we we look at Congress and they have a 13 percent approval rating, uh, honestly, as they probably rightfully should. Uh, <laughs> but there's there's a lot of, of really good standout people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of people I look up to. Uh, no one person in particular who's elected nowadays. But um, what what book do you think has had the, the greatest influence on your philosophies? Hmm. That is a very hard question. Uh, or, or me, you can, I've read you can a, pick a, I've read a couple a, books if you if you feel like it. Sure, I've I've read a lot of uh, Senator Paul's books. It is to say Rand, right? Sorry about that. I've read a lot of Senator Paul's books, and those have kind of uh, put me on, I would say, the right path. He's where uh, Rand, that is, first uh, kind of the first political books I ever forayed into. Okay. Um, he's had a lot of influence on me. Uh, I would say not so much as his father, but yeah, his his books are really good. I don't know if you've ever read any of them. I I, th- I believe I have all of them, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what I kind of figured. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the Tea Party goes to Washington specifically. Right. Uh, was was one that I I really enjoyed. I've got a signed copy of that one. Right. I have a signed copy of his latest book. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that one was one I really enjoyed there. because. That was kind of something that explained, you know, how he got elected, okay. uh, which obviously for, for somebody like me who's running, uh, there's a really meaningful message behind that. And um, finally, where can people find more out um, about you and your campaign? And also, yeah. where can people find you on social media? Yeah, so uh, I have a campaign website. It's just canon c-a-n-n-o-n-w-v.com uh that's that's got a lot of my resources links to things like facebook twitter on facebook it's just jared cannon for west virginia uh but yeah everything's pretty much on my website link to twitter link to donation feeds keep up with me sign up for the email list everything like that all righty well uh jared i Really uh, enjoyed this. I think that um, I think that you're one of the good guys who who's trying to really restore liberty, especially in in a state like West Virginia. Um, so keep up the good work. I appreciate it, Caleb. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, and uh, for the audience, you can follow me at Caleb Friends. Follow the show uh, on Twitter at Mill Liberty. Subscribe to us on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode or an update. Uh, Give us a rating and a review. We will surely appreciate it. And if you support us, please consider um, giving us your support also on Patreon at Outset Network. And until next week, we'll see you.